You're listening to Gender, A Wider Lens. I'm Stella O'Malley, a psychotherapist in Ireland. And I'm Sasha Ayad, an adolescent therapist in the United States. Since 2016, my practice has been exclusively dedicated to gender-questioning teens and families impacted by gender dysphoria. I also work with gender-questioning teenagers, and I facilitate at support meetings for families and individuals who have been impacted by gender issues. We're curious about the concept of gender and how it's unfolding in the wider culture. Join us as we look at gender through a wider lens. Hello, Stella. How are you doing? Hi, Sasha. I'm good. Um, Today's episode should be interesting. It's a little bit different than the usual format because today we're going to talk about covid and the restrictions and how the lockdown has impacted people with gender dysphoria. There's lots of theories out there. Some people, you know, think very strongly that it helped their gender dysphoria. And some people think it exacerbated their gender dysphoria. So we're going to explore that. And we are also going to reach out to the listeners because we've been looking at the analytics and the map of the world and all the different countries, which is extraordinary. We've got listeners from everywhere, from Uzbekistan to Egypt to everywhere. So that's fascinating. And we want to um, invite the listeners to perhaps, you know, send in questions and we might devote a whole show perhaps to the questions that people might have because we're getting asked on Twitter. We're getting asked everywhere, aren't we, Sasha? Yeah. Yeah. We have people commenting on Facebook and social media and we think there are a lot of great ideas coming our way. And so we want to um, just make today uh, partially about this important topic of the lockdown and then also loop in our listeners because it's been a really important part of our process to figure out how we want the show to go um, in listening to our audience and what people have to say. So I guess we'll, we'll take it away from the lockdowns. I mean, where do we even want to start here? Because there's a lot I'll tell you where I'll start. I remember at the beginning of the lockdown, quite early in, I often look on Mumsnet and it's, it's, it's you know, it's very interesting to kind of get the kind of temperature of the world. And I remember this thread started early into the lockdown about how uh, people felt that they were desisting. There was a lot of people desisting from trans identification because of the lockdown. And I remember I was shocked by this thread and I was reading all the comments and the comments weren't what's the word unprovable because these were real people who were saying yeah definitely it's it's been very good and it's it's I'm absolutely um I've left behind the 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 gender issues and I knew in my own work that other clients were definitely faring a lot worse and I think that's what made me think about the lockdown it's so classic of this whole kind of global lockdown that for some people, it's been an extraordinarily beneficial episode of pausing and recalibrating and starting a new life almost and reconnecting. For some people, it has been the most difficult, traumatic, hard, hard. And I think that is the cruelty of the lockdown, that it's it's not evenly distributed. And for some people, it's it's really, really hard. Yeah. I I have found that for some families that I talk to or work with, if they had a young person in their family who was already gender dysphoric and they were, you know, going to school, trying to pass as the other sex at school and having that kind of social pressure, 
all of a sudden being on lockdown where you can turn your Zoom video off if you want. You don't have to impress any kids at school. You're kind of in a low pressure situation. I think for some families that in combination with spending more quality time with parents and just having more like a, of a low pressure academic setting, I think that really helped ease a lot mm. of the tension for some kids. And yet there are other kids for whom maybe they weren't experiencing gender dysphoria before the lockdown. And then all of a sudden they have this reduced school schedule when they have like 10 extra hours a day to get on the internet and do whatever. And sometimes they found themselves kind of going down the rabbit hole of YouTube transition timelines. And so some young people developed their gender questioning or gender dysphoria during the lockdown. So you're right that it impacted people in very, very different ways, depending on the context, depending on the circumstances, depending on what was happening in, in that particular family's life. Yeah, I do think the internet is a key aspect to gender issues. And lockdown, <laughs> a key central lifestyle of, of the lockdown has been the internet. I think we've all become more addicted. I know I have. And it's so good. Like, here we are, you know, on, on Zoom and you're in, you're in Arizona and I'm in Offaly. Like, it's extraordinary, really. But I do think sometimes that if you can spend six hours in a row online, I think that's much more burdensome than if you're just going on and you're going off. It's, it's kind of hard to know, but there's something about the rabbit hole of going in and going online and becoming slack-jawed and just lo- watching video after video. Some I know some clients have described to me, like, and, um, you know, that they literally spent months watching YouTube videos of people who've transitioned, literally months. And they're just kind of, they've got this whole new life. And these are people who are selling their platform. They're selling their fame. And they're, they're selling to gullible kids. You can be like me, but sure, that's what social media influencers are doing. You know, it's, yeah. it's not that different. Yeah. Well, one of the you know pieces of advice, because I consult with families, and especially if a family has a young teenager, one of the main pieces of advice I'll give them is, you know, help get your kid offline. Um, it's, such, it's such a hugely influential thing when you're staring at a screen for X amount of hours a day. And while, you know, I think it's tough because these days having an internet life is a very normal part of being a young person, of being an adult. I mean, any age really. But um, it's interesting when the whole world all of a sudden finds itself with nothing else to do but be online and schools have moved to online and everything is online. So, you know, Families are really in a bind because part of what they're trying to do is help broaden their child's world and broaden their child's perspective, yet everybody is just staring at a screen 10, 12, 14 hours a day, and everybody is doing it. So it's just, um, it's very, very tough to find ways to get offline if you don't have, you know, other opportunities to get outdoors or to do something else with your time. And there's not only that, there is that whole being sucked into the online world, which is a kind of a pseudo world people are being sucked into. And, you know, that is, it carries its own difficulties. But with that, there has been a, a very frenzied feeling 
online because we're all online. And there does feel like it feels very feverish. And do you remember over the summer and there was all these riots and there was just it just felt like the world was going a bit crazy because we were all online together going collectively mad is what it felt like. I really felt that there was a feeling of fear and paranoia and suspicion and a yeah. real feeling of out of control that we're all inside online and it's slightly out of control together. And we didn't have gym and we didn't have work and we didn't have the annoying next door neighbor to deal with. We just had ourselves and the online relationship. And I think that has really, it's tapped into a fear and a, and a distress, and especially young people, I think it's really, really hard on them. They're very scared of life, and they've been taught it more than ever in the last couple of years. Yeah, I mean, I think you're, you're so right to point that out, because it's not just the fact that people are online, but they're online because everybody, in really a matter of weeks, I remember when, at least in, in the U.S., when the lockdown really started to become... Um, like on the forefront of everyone's mind around March, mm. I remember within a matter of weeks going from feeling completely normal and engaging with friends and seeing people and hugs and, you know, cheek kisses and all that stuff to all of a sudden, I remember the first time I took a walk outside after the lockdown. I mean, I was afraid. I was literally afraid of like the, the particles in the air and all of this stuff, you know? So, and I'm an adult and I of course have, you, you can't stay in that heightened sense of anxiety for too long because that's like a, it's like a psychological crisis mode. You cannot stay there. So of course with time, everybody started to relax their sense of fear, but for young people to be that afraid of the world for some good reasons, but I think also perhaps some exaggerated reasons, I, I think it's been very difficult for some young people to all of a sudden become completely cut off from others and kind of nervous about leaving their houses. I've noticed a phenomenon, and I'm interested whether you have, among young people who uh, might come to me, and I, I've noticed that Previous to the last couple of years and, the you know, the very much emphasis on the online line life, if they were traumatized and if they had fear, it was from an event. You could trace it back. And now I think I, I think I heard uh, was Jerry Lawler said, you know, vicarious trauma, vicariously induced trauma, as in it's from the Internet that they've they've learned to be afraid of the world from the Internet without actually having experienced something traumatic that their 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 intake their consumption on the internet has actually literally traumatized them and i think that isn't i think it was really clever of jerry to say it and i think yeah that's what's actually happening to some people that i'm meeting sometimes i think maybe i'm missing maybe i'm missing some terribly traumatic event but the more i explore it i think no they have stayed in as children. They haven't gone out. They, they haven't explored the world. They've learned to be very scared of the world. And their, their kind of intellectual diet is filled with fear and distress. Bring in a killer virus into that. And you've got a very, very scared, 
I don't know if paranoid is the the word, but certainly really suspicious of the world and has been taught to be. And then, you know, the, the gender kind of layers on top of that. And I think it's a real, I think it's a real issue. And I think it would have been laughed about 10 years ago. And I think now people go, yeah, it is happening. Mm. What, what aspect of it do you think would have been laughed about 10 years ago? For me, let's say, for example, for me, 10 years ago, I wasn't on Facebook. I wasn't on Twitter. I wasn't on anything. I, just, <laughs> I didn't even, wasn't even on a mum's net. I was on nothing. I was just an ordinary person who sometimes <laughs> sent emails. Like, <laughs> and I, I just think so much of my, my mentality is shaped. Now, I'm 46. So if, if, if I was six and then 16 now, if that was 10 years ago, so much, let's say these kids who are so shaped by TikTok, so shaped by Instagram, so shaped by fear, like, you know, I, I can see what my own kids are watching on TikTok and they just think America, for example, is crazy mm. land, just crazy land. Mm-hmm. They saw, let's say, the riots and they seem to see America as just this really lunatic place where there's riots all the time. And they kind of had Donald Trump as some crazy person. Like, I'm not saying he wasn't, but the the kind of inflated concept they have of America. And I'm like, it's it's kind of an ordinary country. Like, you just walk around. It's not. (laughs) (laughs) And it's like how I judged, I'd say, Russia when I was growing up in the 80s. Like, it was a really unusual place. That's just influence from the media. That's certainly not for me, you know. And I know they're kind of wide-eyed that I'm friends with people from America. They're like, well, yeah, what's it like? (laughs) Yeah. So that's what I mean. So they're being, I think they're being shaped by social media. I know it's a cliche, but oh my God, it's a cliche for two reasons. And I think the lockdown has really. Yeah. I wonder, you know, as a parent, um, how, how have you tried to mitigate the lockdown's impact? Because I mean, let's, let's also just touch on this. You did mention I'm in Arizona, you're in Ireland, in in and I'm just moved from Texas. So interestingly, in Texas, right before I left, they lifted the mask mandate. A lot of businesses were still observing the mask wearing, but I know as you and I have talked, Stella, Ireland still feels very locked down. Whereas in the two states that I've lived in, at least here in the U.S., restaurants are open, businesses are open. It's almost business as usual, except you see masks on most people most of the time. So I imagine just the daily experience of how I am living the kind of post-COVID life is probably so different from how you're experiencing it. So let's just touch on that a little bit. Again, we have listeners all over the world. I'd be curious... You know, in Nigeria, what is the lockdown life yeah. looking like? What is it like in, you know, Morocco? What is it like in Ireland? Egypt. So what is life like for you guys right now? We're very strict. Like we, since December, so it's it's the end of March now as we're recording this. And since December, we have been on a five kilometer lockdown. So you can't go beyond five kilometers. And uh, you can if you have something specific to go to, but you can't go for, for fun. Beyond five, no, five kilometers is not a very far. No, um, no cafes, nothing, no clothes shops, no restaurants, no pubs, no hotels. 
no fun events, no museums, no galleries, no libraries, no any, none of them have been open since December. So that's four months. My kids' schools have been closed. My, my daughter's school is going to open now on the 12th of April, which would be, and you know, it'll close again seven weeks after that. So like, it's been really, really fairly, a very severe, very low life, if you follow me. It's a very low key life. And it's very online. How is everybody coping? Everybody's going online. And like, you know, I've got kids who are clients, let's say, and they left school, you know, high school, what you'd call it in America, you know, in a, you know, on a wet Thursday in March, never mm-hmm. said goodbye to their friends, exactly. started online college, haven't met even one friend because they're still in their bedroom at home. It's March. It's like, the, what are they, six months into their, their first year of college and haven't had a night out, haven't met anybody. And I find a lot of relapse has happened, a lot of relapse in eating disorders, relapse in gender dysphoria, a lot of kind of moving from gender to eating disorder, moving from eating disorder to gender, OCD. And I think there's going to be really severe long-term mental health implications of all this. And, you know, we, we have repressed ourselves for 12 months different I, I know you asked really what's Ireland and I'm just giving you the Irish I just think it has been severely bad for good I know there's all sorts of physical reasons for it but I'm just saying that doesn't mean that mental health hasn't impacted and people often say oh but we got through the world wars and stuff and I think yeah we got through the world wars but we got through it very very difficultly and like an awful lot of people who left who survived the world war they had children and those children were really badly impacted by their children their parents difficulties do you remember ruby wax the comedian she do you remember do you not know her she's american but she wrote very eloquently about her parents had survived the concentration camps and the holocaust and she would, they they had been very badly impacted and her childhood was really burdened by the difficulties her parents had. She'd had, there wasn't any real difficulty in her life, but her life had been bowed over. Now, I'm not comparing to anything like, like, you know, sitting around watching Netflix is nothing like it. However, if a long-term phenomenon happens, it, it has a long-term mental health impact. And that's my point there, that we can't just say, oh, we've got through worse. And it's like, yeah, we've got through lots worse. We've got through famine. We've got through disease. We've got through war. But this is really, mental health-wise, this is a real mess, I think. I really do. Mm -hmm. I think there's something very tangible and obvious about the type of trauma that is war, you know, or famine, or even the Great Depression. You know, we know that people who grew up in the Great Depression, their perspective on possessions and food and rationing that lasts for their whole life. But there's something a little less visible about the trauma of isolation and the trauma of just a generalized fear of other humans. Um, and I think it's really important that we, we recognize how fundamental sociality is to being a person. And so when you spend formative years of your life, you know, between Anything in childhood, I mean, even adults are struggling with this, but especially for children and adolescents, it's very hard to experience this stretch of time 
in isolation, without your friends, without connecting, without building memories. I mean, what's funny, you know, we talked a few episodes ago about how profoundly quickly a young person changes during the adolescent development, how like talking to a 15-year-old is so different from a 16-year-old, which is so different from a 17-year-old. And part of that, of course, is brain development, biological, and part of it is also because they're building a lot of new experiences. They're having new kinds of relationships come in their life. They're experimenting with new roles. And what happens when all of that is just cut off? You know, you're just stuck in your room. You're not building any new memories. And I think about all the young people I work with who they experience their whole senior year of high school, which is in the U.S. that's grade 12. Kids are around 16 to 18 and they're just about to leave for university. And that last year of high school is really formative for many young people. Yeah. You have the pressure off of the applications. You're, you're finished with college applications. And it's your last year with your high school friends. And there's usually a little more flexibility in your schedule. There's a bit of ease there. And these are the last memories you have. And so what happens to a young person who, like you said, this, this entire aspect of their experience is just cut off without them even knowing how long it would be. I remember when the lockdowns first started, oh, in six months, it'll be over. Oh, by the summer, it'll be over. Oh, by this time, it'll be over. And so, you know, as a as an adult who's developed patience and the ability to just kind of hold tight, that's fine. But I can't imagine having been you know, in high school or in middle school trying to figure out when this is going to go back to normal. Yeah, I, I do think the kids and the, the people in their 20s had it worse. I know this isn't very popular and people think different, you know, groups had it worse and, you know, you could argue it forever. But I think, you know, if you're, if you're 10, you'll never be 10 again. You'll never be 11 again. I think once you've hit 25, life gets a little bit samey. So it doesn't matter if you bow out for a year or two. It's it's kind of, you've, you know, you're, you're, you're just rolling along. But those formative experiences like... I, I really think they have been swiped and they won't get them. They will not get them. And the thing you said about loneliness is when somebody's very lonely and isolated, they think that that's their fault. They're lonely and isolated because they don't have enough friends. And I think that's a real issue when we get to terms like this, because I'm finding with the clients, they say it's I've no friends. And I'm like, well, you would be making them if it wasn't for restrictions. And they're like, well, would I? How, why Why do I believe that? And I feel the loneliness that I've seen in these few months, like really intense, sad, despairing loneliness. And when somebody's very, like you said, when we don't have socialization, when we have that intense loneliness, we turn to destructive behavior. And I, I really think that I, I've seen it. And I, it's it's not just being on the internet. It's not being physically warm with anybody mm-hmm, mm-hmm. continuously yeah. for a long time. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've heard so many clients talk about being touch deprived, you know, not having had a hug for like a year. I mean, it makes me want to cry just thinking about that. Yeah. And, and I'd like to also just lift up, um, I work with lots of clients who struggle with anxiety. And one of the things that has come up frequently is that, you know, when, when they were experiencing life kind of pre-lockdown, 
you know, anxiety is ameliorated by putting yourself in, in experiences and circumstances that provoke a bit of anxiety and getting through it, right? So what happens all of a sudden where you're not going anywhere anymore? The only place you go is perhaps to the grocery store. And so all of the, the types of circumstances and situations that you had kind of trained yourself to be okay in that were like a good challenge for your anxiety, all of a sudden are gone. And then the easy things like going down to the mailbox, which was a piece of cake when you used to go to university every day, now the going to the mailbox is terrifying again. So I know that people who struggle with anxiety-related issues might have seen a bit of a setback in how far they had progressed or what they were working on because all of a sudden they're range of what they can do has become so limited. That's such a good point. You know that concept of the Overton window and it shifts. So it's like in mental health, our Overton window shifts. And so what would have been daunting is now absolutely unimaginable because our lives have become so narrow. And I really think our our coming out of the lockdown is going to be very slow for some people. I think introverts have have really experienced the lockdown very differently from extroverts. (laughs) I've got an introvert child and an extrovert child. And I think the introverts have found it a welcome relief from the stress of having to socialise. And yeah, they could do it a bit more socialising, but really the, the gorgeousness of having no pressure to go anywhere is frankly so fabulous. And they're like, yeah, give me the screens. This is fine. Actually, this is quite a nice life. And then the extroverts, I think, and, you know, the rule of thumb with the introvert and extrovert is that the introverts get their energy from being alone and the extroverts get their energy from being with people. And there's, you know, there's a good 20% in the middle and I would count myself in the middle for all my talkativeness. I, I like a lot of time on my own. And, you know, it's, it's funny because the extroverts, I've seen my own daughter who's an extrovert, she's wilted. She's just like, I need new people who are not my family. That's all she needs. Like, you could just see it. But somebody like me who's an introvert and who has created a life that suited me just fine, and I didn't work out of the home very much. Once a week, I'd go out for a talk or something, maybe twice a week. But really, my life was at home. And when the kids went to school, that was my golden time to be alone. I haven't been alone since December. It's it's so intense. I'm like, ah, I'm like a crazy person at this stage because I haven't been alone. So while... I, I think there's real, real drawbacks on this aloneness, which is not loneliness. It's it's a different thing, but it's caused me such strain. And I, I, I'm going to be so pleased when they do go back to school. But I think what's not nice about COVID restrictions is that people whose lives weren't working, who had long commutes, who weren't seeing their children enough, who didn't have a life that was set up in a pleasant way, they have said... Actually, I like this life and actually I should be living this life. And a good section of people, the 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 inappropriateness of their life has been Yes. Yeah. That has been revealed. shown up to them. Yeah, revealed. Yeah, that's right. And they've said, actually, I, I need to make some life changes. Well, I'm just like, actually, I had it nice. <laughs> Can I go mm. back? <laughs> it was perfectly nice the way it was. Yeah. yeah. What about you? Do you did you see enough people or? Well, I mean, I, I have also made a big move. I mean, partially because this COVID lockdown has put a lot of things in perspective. Really? Um, mm-hmm. um, 
You know, I think it... Look at Sasha not wanting to reveal anything. I'll well, push her. Well, well, here's what it is. Here's what it is. When you, for, for me at least, lockdown really restricted what we could do for fun. You know, on weekends, whenever we have free time. And all we could really do was be outdoors, which I love. And I lived in a city that, though I appreciated some things about it, was just not a beautiful outdoor place. There was not much to do. And so, you know, I moved to the state of Arizona, partially because I spent many years here, but also because it's absolutely beautiful. And to be somewhere that you can actually step outside and enjoy the weather and go for a long walk or go, you know, on a short drive to be in a gorgeous natural park, that's really valuable. That just became much more valuable. Um, And so, I mean, this is kind of leading us into ways in which the lockdown has been really beneficial for some families. You know, I'm, I'm thinking about families I've talked to who said, you know, ever since the lockdown, we've just started spending so much more time together, quality time. You know, we've gone on road trips together. We've started doing these, you know, outdoor walks every day or whatever the case may be. And I think that's such a blessing for certain families to be able to reevaluate how is the daily rat race of life going to look? Because you're right. I think for some people spending two and three hours a day in a car and like rushing from place to place and having their day jam packed with things and meetings for some families who are fortunate enough, they were able to kind of reevaluate and reassess how their daily life looks. Yeah. And then when you bring that into, I suppose, mental health, and this is, you know, what we're interested in is is with the gender kind of aspect of it. I kind of, when you think of the symptom pool and like, you know, the mental health kind of distress of, of its time right now is gender and throw COVID onto gender, of course, gender to me would, would, would explode. Had, it, had we had another mental health issue that was pressing upon us, that would be exploding. So it's not, we can't just blame the internet, but certainly... The internet has had a huge factor. It'll it'll be COVID and the internet in the in the history books. I think you know it, it was it was a dual kind of scenario for 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 us. But I I really think for me the the older kids maybe between fifteen and twenty, those kids I think or I don't know whether I should call them kids youths I suppose they um, have had a really intense time of it where they've really, really kind of been isolated and really kind of became very almost activists online because they had little else to do and they needed to be out there having wild times. And even into their 20s, I think they just got derailed and I think a, a lot of the kind of the extreme pylons that I've seen and stuff, you know, that phrase COVID crazy. I really have seen it in Ireland. I've seen a few really kind of fairly crazy things happen online. And you just think that's kind of feels very COVID. It feels very kind of like a COVID riot, but it's effectively an online riot and it's a pylon. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you feel like the age range of like older teens and young adults have had a really hard time. Here. I do. I think yeah. the younger kids, even though my own children have younger and, you know, so they, they've, they've suffered in their way. The, you know, the first six months were a doddle. The next three months were di- fine. But the last three months have been hardship, hardship, mm. no doubt about mm. it. Um, 
so much so that we bought a horse. Because <laughs> you asked, yeah, us, that's true. <laughs> you asked us, what did we do? Well, I was so desperately nervous about my children's screen consumption. I've made this. We've made this. Yeah, so it's gone very well so far, and my little boy is the happiest boy in the world. So <laughs> so far, so good, you know. But um, yeah, but I did that as a very direct result of that. This is too much of an interbased, uh, internet-based childhood. Their, their childhoods are being spent on screens, and this is going to be problematic. And I, I'm very aware. Like I think between ten to fifteen, an awful lot of those kids can reconnect with their chi- with their parents. They can watch films with their parents. They can swap clips, and there's a lot of kind of baking and all that. 15 onwards, really that want to be with your parents, it's just not as, it's just not there. And between 15 and 25, the natural and noble um, development is to be out, out with other people, meeting new people. And they, I think, particularly because their brains were just so kind of bored, they've got into difficulties online. They've got into kind of fights and kind of rattiness and kind of a lot of intense activism. And I just think they're just bored and they should be out in pubs and clubs and discos and things. And they're also understimulated. I mean, the irony is these phones can connect you with all these things and you're constantly seeing a million videos a minute, but also it's not, it's not a kind of stimulation that's really satisfying. So it's like you constantly need the next thing. Yeah. Something else that I'm aware of is that, you know, when, when the lockdowns happened, it put parents in a really difficult situation because all of a sudden, at least with families I work with, a lot of them are just working from home for their, for their regular jobs. And they also are now tasked with how to stay, keep their kids engaged with life for over a year. Yeah. And that's really difficult because the families that I spoke of earlier who have been really um, benefited in some ways by the, the lockdown, these are families who were able to, for whatever reason, really be incredibly strategic, lean in with all of their energy. These are not parents that said, oh, I'm tired, I just need to check out. They couldn't really check out. And so I find that in families that I've worked with or have seen in which the parents seem to be checking out, that is when the kids also get deeper and deeper into their kind of struggles. It really requires an incredible, difficult amount of strategy and engagement and planning and like, you know, energy from the parents to make this work. I do find sometimes it's been impossible for the parents to make it work in the last year, that they knew they had to restrict the internet on the children, but they couldn't because they ne- the kids needed the internet to go to school. And it, it was a genuine, uh, impossible scenario. Yeah. Genuinely. I, I saw it with my own kid, like she'd start school at nine and by 20 past nine they'd have taken the role, given them something to do and closed the class. And I'd come in going, what are you doing watching TikTok? It's 20 past nine. Like, and she's like, <laughs> class is finished. Have another class at 10. <laughs> and she's roll, scrolling and rolling through her phone. And I'm like, oh, my God. And then she goes to her 10 o'clock class. They, they do a bit of 20 minutes of class, close it. And then she's another 40 minutes. And yeah. She's straight on her phone. It, yeah. that's, not, that's not sustainable. And that is really common. 
So I, I don't know how I, I just, you know, work with the GDSN with the parents groups that the parents are like, I can't limit their Internet because they're on school and then they need it for homework. And I don't know when they're doing the homework and when not, because every time exactly. I go on, they're not. They're, they're looking on YouTube. Yeah. And w- w- what usually as a therapist, you and I would have strategies if somebody comes to us with distress and we'd say, oh, try and meet new friends by joining these clubs. Try and reconnect with old friends by doing this, that and the other. Maybe get some exercise or maybe join, maybe do something altruistic by, you know, doing some charitable. None of those strategies are available. Yeah, I know. And it's just kind of, oh, could you watch some good films? (laughs) It's really, it's really restricted. The parents are restricted and the therapists are restricted. We really are. are. They are. All of the typical advice that I tend to give to families, especially families of younger kids, it all has to have a COVID disclaimer. It's like, well, just on, you're on hold until all of this lifts. You're on hold, but don't forget, Lisa Littman called it rapid onset gender dysphoria. And that's what's so shocking for some parents that they go, oh my God, like six months ago, this was nothing in our lives. It didn't exist. Gender didn't exist. I didn't even know barely what gender was. And in that six months, there has been a revolution in my child. And it's not been good. Like it's rapid. When it's rapid, they go so fast and so deep. And that's a real shock. Sometimes parents come in and they are literally, they look just so shocked at the speed of the change in the child, you know? Yeah, for sure. And it's so, it's so, it feels a little bit disheartening that we've kind of highlighted all the reasons this is difficult, but I want to give, I want to give listeners something that they could kind of think about. Obviously we're, we're recording this in March, 2021. Everyone's been in lockdown for a year. So it's a little bit, probably a little too little too late, right? But but one thing that I'm thinking about is that I have seen so many people adopt pets. You bought a horse, for example. Or right? Thor the horse. So I mean there are there are some really creative ways that people have tried to stay engaged in real life things. So I think animals and pets and you know being able to connect in that way with your children. Most kids have probably been begging their parents for an animal for years anyway. So this can be a really good opportunity to, you know, give the the children that sense of responsibility and joy and excitement and fun. So do you have any other thoughts? I mean, as a parent, what have you done to try to keep life going? I, I think you're right. And I think for gender, anything to do with nature is good. Gardening, or animals is really, really good because there's an implicit lesson about like nature rolls on. And, you know, there's there's we have to work with nature and nature um, can kind of overcome you and you can also work with it. There's huge lessons in that. I, I'm really pro bringing nature into your life at all possible. I do think that I've never seen so many kids out on their bikes. This is, again, the under kind of the, the kind of the young teens and the, you know, that the tweens, they have gone out, they've gone out more. They weren't going out as much and they're just pure boredom has got them out. And I'm just thrilled about that. Yeah. So that that's definitely a, a pro. Huge amount of parents have connected with their children. I know yeah. I've connected in a surprising way because I, I'm obviously very, in, well, not obviously, but I am very into education. And I had to completely engage 
in what my children were learning and how they were learning. And so it's it's made me do something that I was kind of looking through my fingers at for years. So so it's been very good for me to kind of, yeah, to, to, to kind of could take that on. There has been a real bonding has happened. There's no yeah. doubt there's been a bonding, yeah. a deep bonding. We'll never forget these days. And so, you know, it's definitely, you know, that line, this is heaven, this is hell. Like it, it, it is, a, it's, it's a bit like that. There's, it's everything. COVID is everything. I wonder how we'll look back on it. I wonder how history will look back on it. Will they just say it was a blip and then we rolled on? Because if you look at, you know, the Spanish flu in 1919 and so many million died and that was just after the World War I. But then what happened? The Roaring Twenties happened. And you'd wonder, now, obviously, we are not coming out of a world war and we are coming out of the equivalent of Spanish flu. But, you know, I wonder if I was 21 and if I was coming out of this, I would have the most rip roaring couple of years ahead of me, wouldn't you? So I wonder, will there be a bounce of happiness, a bounce of exhilaration, a bounce of kind of joie de vivre that we haven't quite uh, anticipated because we're so weary now? And we're talking about how lots of people are going to be anxious and lots of people are going to be agoraphobic. And I'm like, yeah, but there's going to be people like my daughter who's going to be like, people, hello. (laughs) So there could be an extraordinary bounce like the Roaring Twenties. We could have the Roaring Twenties 2020. (laughs) Yeah, I wonder about that too. I mean, my initial fear with the lockdown was that everyone was going to get really comfortable in this completely virtual world. But what is become kind of clearer to me is that people are really craving that in-person contact. And so I wonder if there will be more appreciation for, you know, our ability to socialize and stuff afterwards. I mean, just to tack onto the list, I know that some some young people I am aware of have become really interested in cooking and like bonding with the mom in the kitchen and like learning all these new recipes. And so I think there are a lot of ways that when parents are able to lean in, they can find this really special opportunity to bond, despite the fact that, on the other hand, this is very, very hard for people. Yeah, yeah. I think, you know, my my daughter certainly did more art. She's always been into art. I think there's been quieter pursuits. A lot of families have talked about jigsaws and stuff. There's definitely been a lot more kind of expansive, let's try this, let's try that. And I think it will be remembered for that quiet time in our life. And we would never have had it before. But what you said about the Internet, and I think we we went to the bottom with the Internet and came back out <laughs> and actually real life. <laughs> it's pretty, it pretty good. <laughs> yeah, which will be a good lesson. It'll be yeah. a good lesson. Yeah. Well, this seems like a good time to kind of switch over to looking at a little bit of global data. What do you think? Yeah, we had a look at it just before and it was so interesting to see all the listeners we have. We're thrilled with the numbers and we're thrilled with, by the way, the shares and all the lovely messages. I I sometimes, you know, I kind of go a bit pink when I get too many compliments and we've got so many compliments. I'm like, oh, thank you. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah, it's amazing. It's been so nice, hasn't it? It's It's been been amazing. Yeah. Yeah, I've been really... um, pleased to see all of the different 
listeners where they live and that people are, you know, we know that you guys are sharing this podcast with, you know, friends or somebody at my kid's school or, oh, I shared this with a friend who's a therapist. This is really amazing. We've had such positive reception. So maybe we can just talk a little bit about where where are all of you people out there listening? (laughs) We know that most people are here in the U.S., which is not, not roll, a huge shock. Drum, drum number roll, one right? is the USA. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I wonder what most people guess what number two is. I don't think they will. I think they'll think it's Ireland. It's, it's the U.K. Yeah. Or Canada. I would have thought Canada would be number two, to be honest. Would you? Um, yeah. So number three is the U.K. Then number four is Canada. Um. And no, no, no. Have... Number one is the US. Number two is Canada. You've got one. Oh, yeah, at, yeah, two, yeah. Number two is UK. Number three is Canada. Number four is Australia. Yes. And then number five is Ireland. Good so old that's Ireland. Your whole family, right? 600 of your relatives. <laughs> well, there, there's, there's a good few hundred there listening from Ireland, which yeah. surprised me because the numbers are tiny in Ireland. We're, we're a very small population. So I'm very pleased with uh, Ireland's numbers. So then we have New Zealand, which is amazing. New Zealand is listening. Finland, Spain, yeah. Sweden, Germany. So a- after Spain, we dig dig into the double digits there. So Sweden and everybody we mentioned before is triple digit listeners or downloads, we should say. And, and then we have for the United States yes, and the United Kingdom. and the Kingdom UK. Thousands. Right, yeah. right. Then we have some listeners in the Netherlands, Denmark, Belgium, Norway. And then we have Italy and Switzerland and Russia, Argentina, Indonesia. I know, I know. Um, South Africa, Mexico, India. We have listeners in Hong Kong, the Philippines, Turkey, Brazil. Is this Chechia? Is that supposed yeah. to say Chechnya? I wonder is that the Czech Republic or maybe yeah. Okay. Keep going, Stella, with Austria. our list here. Then over to Serbia. And it's funny, we've a high number of listeners in Spain and yet not so many in France. It's interesting culturally what's going yeah. on there. Isn't yeah. that interesting? So Chile, Singapore, Japan, Lithuania, Croatia, United Arab Emirates. Emirates, oh my God. yeah. Bangladesh, Nigeria, Thailand. It feels like every country. Colombia, Israel, Slovenia. Saudi Arabia, Costa Rica. I don't know. Is there Namibia, Slovakia, Trinidad? <laughs> There's <Yeah>. Egypt. <laughs> There's my Egypt. Woohoo! <laughs> we also missed. We missed Greece and Poland, which were up there before oh, Austria. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, we we have listeners all over the place. At the bottom of the list is Uzbekistan, but we're still we're still here for you, Uzbekistan. <laughs> hello, Uzbekistan. Hello, yes. Ukraine. <laughs> and I want to say a special hello to our Isle of Man listeners and our Guernsey yes. listeners because I happen to know they are because t- Sasha before the program asked me like, "What's Guernsey and the Isle of Man?" And I was like, "They're <laughs> tiny islands between." Well, Isle of Man is between England and Ireland, and Guernsey is the other side of England. But yeah, we have literally Puerto Rico, Peru, 
Imagine yeah. Peru. It's amazing. Amazing. It's gorgeous. It's really absolutely gorgeous. That the like it feels like every country nearly is, is And you know, this does not reflect those of our listeners who are on YouTube watching us. I know some people are commenting on YouTube and they primarily watch our YouTube channel. So we, we don't even have that data pulled up. But we just wanna say we're we're so glad that, that our message is reaching so many countries. We're really touched by that. And um, I guess, you know, part of, part of what we want to do is to hear what people are interested in, hear if people have specific questions they'd like us to consider either doing a full show on, or perhaps, you know, we can do like a rapid fire question answering kind of episode. Yeah, which could so be how interesting. Should, yeah, that would be really fun yeah. to do. How do you think people should get in touch with us, Stella? They already By social us, media? Yeah, they already ask us a lot on Twitter. We don't really push Facebook as much as we probably should because we're both Twitter-oriented. But yeah, well, I don't anyway. <laughs> but yeah, I think it would be great if through social media, if people ask questions and maybe called a question for your show or something like that. So yeah. that we kind of, because, you know, it's it's extraordinary how many people who have who have really sent us some really lovely messages yeah. about their own context with gender. And it's it's a kind of a wide range of people who are who are trans, who are who are uh detransitioned, who have been impacted by by gender. There's a wide range. And also it's nice to see a lot of professionals like therapists and stuff contacting mm-hmm. us. Because I, I do think that there's a, a, a lack of therapists in our field that have uh, a good in-depth knowledge. Yeah. You know, and so it's it's lovely to see get an awful lot of comments that are just people who are saying, you know, there's nice to see so many layers to it because it's 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 very important that I suppose we see the holistic approach to the person. As you say, we're not just a walk in identity, huh? No, we're not. Well, what are some off the top of your head, can you remember any topics that have been suggested to us that we might touch on? Um, I know people, uh, a few people have definitely asked me um, or asked us about how the male manifestation of gender dysphoria can be different than the female manifestation of gender dysphoria and how um, that's not maybe been unpicked enough or unpacked. And I think it's a very good point that it does seem to, to manifest in different ways. And which is ironic, really, if you think about it. So there's male yeah. gender dysphoria and there's female mm-hmm. gender dysphoria. And um, I, I do think that, that that deserves an episode. Yeah, I think, I think that so would be too. very interesting. What jumped out at you? Um, well, there's nothing right now that's coming to my mind. Um, I I am curious about, uh, I think people were interested in the episode about giftedness, and I feel like that opened the door for more conversation. I actually, after that episode, a lot of people reached out um, also by email, which we'll provide our social media and email later, but uh, people reached out and said, oh, by the way, I was gifted, and this really related to my experience. So I just feel like that was a really powerful episode for lots of people. Um, even some professionals that we know reached out to us and said, oh, I have a lot to say about this. This is really interesting. So I think that was a really interesting episode to do. I think we could revisit that. 
I think yeah, we could I go think again we on that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But I think we're so far from revisiting because we've so many other aspects of gender to 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 explore. But I think we haven't done ADHD. That's right. I'd like to do one on ADHD. Oh, I'd, yes. I'd, yeah, very much I so. think that's a really important episode to do. That will be coming up for sure. I think ADHD gets neglected as a condition. Uh, it, it gets stuck onto things. It gets stuck onto the end of a sentence. Oh, yeah, an ADHD. And it doesn't, it doesn't um, uh, really get, get given its full respect, I think. Yeah. So that's something I'd really, I'd really like to do. And also, quite a few parents have contacted me over their children about um, PCOS, polycystic ovarian ovarian syndrome. syndrome. Mm -hmm. I'd love to explore that, but I wonder, could we get an expert in for that? Yeah. We maybe bring Will Malone back. Because yeah. he's an endocrinologist, so I'm sure he would will we have just something say to, to say. Uh, will we say to our listeners what were our most popular? Because that I know Will Malone's episode yes. was, was a really Let's good do. one. Let's because do. Because that, that's been fascinating to watch that, to see kind of, oh, yeah. this one. And I remember Will's was a big one. Loads, and loads of people have mentioned it since. Mm-hmm. Well, I think so far our number one episode has been... Number one, which is trans identity versus dysphoria. But that's our longest episode as well. Yeah, yeah. It's it's a bit hard to tell. You know, sometimes we see that an episode gets released and immediately has just thousands of of downloads, which means that it was very interesting to people. And then, of course, the ones that have been up longer are going to have more downloads. Um, But a really popular one was Collective Collusion, People seemed really interested in that idea. Why do people seek a new identity, which is episode four? Um, and most recently, the real ways to manage gender dysphoria has kind of shot up to the top. So that one has been very well received as well. Yeah, I'm not surprised, actually. Yeah, they'd be some of my favorites, I think. Yeah. Well, um, do we want to provide our kind of email address as well? We, I know that some people are just not on social media, so they might want to email us their questions. Yeah. So if you want to do that, you can email us at awiderlenspodcast at gmail.com. There's an A at the beginning there. So awiderlenspodcast at gmail.com. And in the subject line, just put question for episode. That way we can kind of flag it and make sure to take a look. And we imagine that when we receive these questions, we'll probably be able to address many of them, but maybe not all of them. And if there are some that spark an idea for a whole episode, we'd love to do that as well. Social media, do you want to share um, our social media, Stella? Do you have that pulled up? I haven't got it pulled up. You'd be more organized (laughs) like that, Natasha. Okay, so look up, by the way, if you look up gender a wider lens, you catch us, don't you? Mm -hmm. Yeah, if you look up gender a wider lens podcast, we'll come up. So our Twitter is at wider lens pod. That's Twitter. And then Facebook is just gender a wider lens, I believe. Yeah, it is. Mm-hmm. So any listeners who would like to send questions or suggestions, please do that. We'd be really excited to see what you think. Anything else, Stella? 
Um, I want to thank our listeners. I love the engagement we get. I love the fact that people are commenting each week. And I'm slightly feeling a little bit like every Friday it's a test. What are you going to think of this one? <laughs> Will you, those of you who liked it last week and commented in depth about it, I'm like, okay, what do you think of this one? And so yeah. far they've been very generous and very nice and given us some real food for thought. And I really do like the critique. I really do feel that wow, they, they really take up on points and they ask us and they push back and they explore. And I think it's really starting to feel like a community, a kind of wider lens community. And I like it. I like it because I think there's a, an explorative feeling of let's go deep here and say, how about this? I haven't thought of this. And have you thought about that? And I'm like, oh, yes. Yes, a bit of depth perspective of let's ask all the questions that come into our mind in in a a kind of a non-defensive way, in a kind of a compassionate and exploratory way. And that's how we get to further our knowledge. So I'm really liking our listeners. You're my people. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I really feel the same way. And I get the sense that people are excited to hear the episodes. Now, of course, we are kind of tooting our own horns here. We are like highlighting the people who like us. We have had some some contrarian comments as well, which is fair to say whenever you have a publicly kind of facing um, YouTube channel or podcast, you're going to get some critique, which we, we appreciate that as well. But we're really grateful for all of our listeners who stay engaged, who give us their feedback on the episodes and who suggest Uh, future episode topics and we'll definitely be getting to those as we continue working on our our shows for the next several months so thank you so much i do want to say if anybody does have a criticism and if they don't think it's good and they think we're doing something wrong i'd love to hear it i you know i don't really listen too strongly to somebody who just throws a slogan at me or just, you Mm -hmm. know, dismisses me with a word. That's not very engaging. But if somebody was to kind of say, this is an issue and you should explore it because you're missing it, that would be food for my soul. Like, yeah, like, yeah, absolutely. Please don't feel silenced and come on, come come on to our episode. Because uh, wouldn't it be really rigorous if somebody came on saying, these are the reasons I think you're missing things. Mm-hmm. Well, that happened with our queer theory episode. I thought that was really interesting because some people adored that episode. And then other people said, you know what? I think you guys are kind of straw man in queer theory and there's yes. actually way more to it. And so um, we have on our radar to do another episode about queer theory or we have maybe a surprise expert come on. Yes. So anybody who found that in- interesting or who didn't like it, please stick around because I think we'll be having a part two of the queer theory episode where hopefully we can get in a little more depth and clarify some important points. Yeah, because we're trying to look at it all through a wider lens. Thanks for joining us this week on Gender, a Wider Lens. This podcast is partially sponsored by RHYME, Rethink Identity Medicine Ethics. RHYME is a nonprofit organization dedicated to improving the long-term care for gender-variant individuals. Visit Rethink ime.org to learn more. If you found value in our show, please review us on iTunes and subscribe so you never miss an episode. And you can follow us on Twitter, Facebook or Instagram. Just go to our link tree. That's linktr.ee slash 
Wider Lens Pod. Our discussions are for educational purposes only and are not intended as a substitute for mental health services. 